1: Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal Season 7 Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal. We're already up to Episode 7, so after today, we only have 3 more episodes left in this season. However, don't worry... I know what's coming up in those episodes and I think you might be glad of a little rest in between seasons. Allow some time for your fear levels to reset, so to speak. Today's true paranormal experience takes us to some very dark places. Perhaps the darkest place we visit is that corner of your mind where we keep everything we're guilty of and all of our what ifs. Is there a link between an inward feeling of guilt... The feeling that you should have been punished for something that you never were, and an outward presentation of paranormal activity. If something lingers over us long enough, do we eventually all bring forth our own form of punishment? Well, I'm unsure of the answers, but I know we'll have a lot more of questions like these after today's episode. However, before we get to today's True Paranormal Experience, I of course need to thank our wonderful supporters over on Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before anyone else, you also receive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a weekly show that airs every week, even on the downtime between seasons, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon. And we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like our wonderful new team members have Faith Dennison, Logan Witchman, Reese Moore v. Temporal Vortex, Luke Reynolds, Abrigida Singh, Thomas Millers, Kenny, No Wise, Wires, Kopf, Diana Marcatonis, GSD Love F, Adina Satz, Jessica Mare Smith, Ski the Singer, Jesse Savage, Madison Person, Squeaky Wee, Maddie Fitzgerald, Sarah Clark, Sabumafu, Starlet, Liz Smithson, Jennifer Mullen, Circa Dund, Christina DeCosta, Geraldine, Sierra Cersei, Jacqueline Lloyd, BXO, Anna Bain, Courtney Walker, Rebecca Graham, Kristen Lucas, Chris Jeffrey, Vandara Somp, Tobias Be- and Nicola Davis. Thank you so much, guys, and I hope you enjoy all of the ad-free early releases and, of course, the entire back catalogue of Dark Bites. Once more, to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. Now, I pride myself on the fact that The Dark Paranormal is a show that listens to its listeners. And therefore, we've received some feedback from a few people regarding the trigger warning at the start of the episode. And basically, I agree with you. It was too long and it needs condensing. So, quite simply, this show, as the title states, deals with the darker side of the paranormal. And topics will inevitably range from disturbing to downright terrifying. And these true experiences may linger in your head way after the episode's finished. But hopefully, that's why we're all here. And as we are all here, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things... Lower the lights, make yourself comfortable and please leave your disbelief at the door as we hear one of our listeners' harrowing experiences, the frozen lake. My story is a deeply personal one. I appreciate most people would say the same about their own paranormal experience, but the events which brought about this tale are ones which have scarred me deeply i've only ever told this tale piecemeal giving relevant bits out whenever the conversation seemed apt however through listening to your show i've heard a previous experiencer say they found submitting the experience cathartic so hopefully i will too My genuine hope is by sitting down and writing this as I remember I can finally close the door in some way and not have it hovering over me like I feel it has been for years. Edit point. I'm adding this line here after completing the full experience. This has taken me four full days to get through. I caught myself editing some details as even to me they read too far-fetched. However, I've just undone those edits. You see, I know what I experienced, and my goal in writing this is completely selfish. I'm not looking for validation, or to be believed. I'm writing to lighten my own load. Some of the key names and locations, occupations, even genders, have been changed. For several anonymity reasons. Mainly to protect the families involved. Including my own. If you've ever watched the opening credits to The Sopranos. You'd be forgiven for avoiding a visit to New Jersey. The images of Tony Soprano crossing the Jersey Turnpike and such. They create a vision of some desolate Meadowlands. Which seem only fit for dumping some toxic chemicals but the reality is very different. Away from the more urban settings, New Jersey is truly spectacular, and it has some of the most breathtaking scenery and picturesque towns in the whole world. It rightly deserves the title of the Garden State. I was born in Sussex County, New Jersey, near the backwater of Swan Lake. In this part of the world, Summers are famously hot. So hot that road surfaces melt and cities are reduced to ghost towns as we all seek shelter in the shade. But winters can be brutal. The Arctic air sweeps down from Canada and for weeks on end it empties snow over northern Jersey. At such times the scenery can be utterly spectacular. The rivers can freeze and as the winter sun dips below the horizon... Ice rainbows often float across the still water. It's usual for everyday life to take a hit in those colder months. Road closures, that type of thing. Within minutes of where we lived were five or six houses, all containing children of roughly my own age. Sometimes the winter weather was so bad that they would close the school. But we would happily idle the time away, building snowmen or having snowball fights in the forest. Or occasionally we'd huddle round a small heater in a friend's garage and tell ghost stories. All of the tried and tested tales would be told for the umpteenth time. The ghost children of the cave grave, the hiker of Route 621, and of course, everyone's personal encounter with Bloody Mary, each more embellished than the last. We would spend hours terrifying each other, with grotesque embellishments of hitchhikers banging decapitated heads on car roofs, or Graveyard Spirits calling the name of one of the kids in our own group. It was always one of the boys in particular, Brian, known as Buzz, that was the focus of such stories. To terrify him, in hindsight rather cruelly, we invented tales of shadowy figures staring through Buzz's bedroom window, or pretended to her about an ancient cemetery, which of course would be hidden at the bottom of Buzz's garden. Many times I've questioned why it was Buzz who was the brunt of our jokes and the focus of our torment. It's kept me awake on many nights. You'll soon realise why. Buzz got his nickname from Buzz Aldrin. My dad's cousin was Buzz Aldrin. He lived just three houses away from him. He used to say to anyone who'd listen. Or more irritatingly, Hey, insert stranger's name. Guess who lived just three doors down from my pa? You'll never guess. I've still no idea if he was genuine or not, though I'm siding with not. So Brian became Buzz and it just stuck. As we got older, it was clear that Buzz was different from the rest of us boys in so many ways. Firstly, he was a boy of literally strange tastes and would only ever drink iced tea. Once, when he inadvertently drank some cow's milk my mother had poured for him, he unapologetically spat it all over the hallway, screaming that he wasn't going to drink anything from a dead cow. Buzz's father had been killed in an accident, and his mother, Jocelyn, had taken up with a man called Rudy, who my mother said was young enough to be her son. Together they had a baby, Buzz's stepbrother, called Ross Buzz loathed Rudy and I mean loathed I thought it was a you're not my real dad situation but then Buzz seemed to develop a weird thing about cleanliness he couldn't abide getting dirty or getting his clothes soiled by our play in the woods cruelly we played on this phobia and we'd often maliciously pepper buzz with soil from the creek. We delighted in watching his overreaction, as he desperately tried to remove the stains from his clothes. That's until one day when he flipped out. He got really upset, and stunned us all into silence by revealing that Rudy, his mother's new boyfriend, would punish him if he came home dirty. Stopping his pocket money and claiming it was needed for detergent. And one time, apparently, giving him a belt across the back of the legs. All in full view of his mother, who'd done nothing. The hatred of Rudy by Buzz was clearly warranted. For much of the winter at the end of 1971, the cold was brutal. The newspapers reported that it was so cold that birds had frozen in the trees and power lines had snapped as if they were twigs. Everywhere was covered in snow, literally everywhere. Trees were hidden, drifts reached up to the roof lines and we could only guess where the roads led in and out of our small town. For us children, however, it was a time of pure joy. School was closed and this freed us to play in the snow from dawn until sunset, sledging down hills, building ice dens and skating across the frozen lake. At one local lake in particular, we devised a game we called Run and Slide. It doesn't take much imagination to guess how it worked. You ran across the frozen lake, up to a marked point, and then used your momentum to slide across the ice on your body. We then used an old surveyor's measure to see how far each of us had travelled. Each day, four or five of us would engage in this furious and highly competitive game. Arguments were commonplace as boys were individually eliminated, until just two of us were in the grand finale. Now Buzz was a master of this game. In his thin blue cagoule, he developed a winning technique in which he would lift his legs away from the ice and slide only on his torso. This not only assured that his trousers never got dirty, but the small surface contact enabled him to sail huge distances across the ice. It was genius, and he knew it. This was something he was really good at, and he didn't shy away from telling us. "'Guess who's kicked your butts again?' he'd shout after yet another victory. Buzz would always insist on being the first to set sail, as we called it. This would give him real satisfaction, watching the puny efforts of the boys that followed him. He would delight in each and every one of us grinding to a halt, many yards away from where he'd landed on the ice. The nearest anyone came to Buzz was a boy called Artie, who had a strategy of moving the start line, which we actually allowed in the rules. To a section of ice where no one else had been. The smooth glass of the virgin ice allowed for much further propulsion. But a few of us knew that the sparkling central ice was out of bounds. Only the day before, we'd watched a group of birds land on the centre of the frozen lake and take delicate sips of water where the ice was thinnest. Even in the coldest weather, this part of the lake never froze. On this particular day, Buzz and Artie were once again in the final of run and slide. As Buzz vocally limbered up at the side of the lake, Artie suddenly turned to him. Hey Buzz, if you're so good, why don't we do the middle path? We all looked at each other in knowing amusement. We knew that the ice would not hold their weight, and we also knew that Buzz would insist on going first. It was only a matter of minutes before we would be treated to the comical image of Buzz needing help to get out of the ice and his boastful reign as champion would come to a humble end. Within seconds, Buzz started his slippery run and before we knew it, he was sliding gracefully towards the centre of the lake. The next part of my retelling is painful beyond measure to relate. For the life of me, I can't remember my actual reaction. But Buzz disappeared beneath the ice. All I remember is that one minute he was there, and the next he was gone. It wasn't a slow process, but rather a sudden act of vanishing, like on a magician's stage. What I do remember was the utter deafening silence. A moment so profound that, even today, I can't contend with silence as it drags me back to that haunting vision. A silent lake with the smallest of holes in the centre. A hole in which a little boy, our friend, had just slipped to his death. We didn't know what to do. We screamed and shouted for help, but our calls went unanswered. We ran back in terror to our houses, leaving poor Buzz beneath the impenetrable ice. As we ran, everything was a panicked blur, except for one thing I recall. A white-tailed deer suddenly stepped out into our path, temporarily stopping us in our tracks. It was as if he'd witnessed the event and was trying to get us to go back. At least that's how I've always thought of it in daydreams and nightmares since. An innocent afternoon's play that had gone tragically wrong. That's what it was. It was like a bizarre mirage in the weeks after that. We had a school assembly where the teachers went on to say how we should all pray for Brian and his family. Our parents and even the police kept reassuring us saying it was a tragic event, that even they played the same game as kids. No one really came down on us heavily. However, one thing that hit me hard then, and still hits me hard most days, is the one question they all asked first. And what did you do when he went through the ice? The fact is, we didn't do anything. I know we were only kids, and in truth, other than follow him through the ice, there was nothing we could do. But there's a weight of guilt I've carried since that day, and I will for the rest of my life. When we moved from Sussex County that summer, I can always remember my mum halting the van just outside of Buzz's house. The last thing she made me do was go inside to say final goodbyes to Buzz's mum jocelyn and the family she didn't warn me that she was going to do this and in my whole life i've never done anything so difficult rudy opened the door looking tired and disheveled he gave a half-hearted wave to my mum before inviting me in the house was in complete and utter darkness other than a small tv flickering in the corner Jocelyn lay asleep on the couch. Surrounding the baby's crib were empty bottles strewn all over the floor. Rudy nudged Jocelyn with his knee and she slowly stirred awake. As I mumbled my goodbyes, Jocelyn fought to rise from the couch. She clumsily hugged me and I could smell the alcohol on her breath and I noticed how she slurred her words. Thank you. Thank you for being Brian's friend, she said tearfully. I hope you're really happy in your new house, Pete. And she kissed me on the top of the head. When I got back in that removal van, I don't think I spoke a single word for the rest of the day. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about policy genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where policy genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how policy genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So, head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership.
1: In Bergen County we started our new lives and Buzz’s death was never ever spoken of which in truth suited me just fine as slowly that deep chest pang of guilt started to become less frequent of an occurrence. Life moved on for all of us. I lost touch with everyone from my old town. I went to college, formed a new circle of friends, got married, got divorced got married again. Since college I'd become a contractor and eventually I established a successful tools and machinery for hire business. In the late 80s I moved with my second wife Elsa and our five-year-old daughter Chelsea to a large plot outside of Hackensack. Our house was on the edge of forest land through which the local river ran. Security was a huge deal for us especially since Elsa worked for the Probation and Parole Office, a job which brought her into contact with dangerous prisoners on a daily basis. She was a key figure in the educational arm of the prison, so although it meant she largely dealt with characters who were keen to reform, there was still a slight paranoia regarding our safety. Also, I stored much of my expensive machinery in a secure plot beside the home. We kept two Ridgeback dogs who slept in the compound, and 24-hour CCTV swept across the whole of the garden to the corner where the machines were kept. I figured that if anyone was going to break into the compound, they would approach from the wood at the bottom of the garden. So I even mounted motion sensors, which would activate an alarm when triggered. I felt safe with all of our precautions. And although I was, and still am, a gun owner, I never once felt the need to unlock my gun from the wardrobe safe. But it was when Chelsea was about five years old that things started to unravel. It began about April when Elsa was at home with Chelsea. They were in the kitchen and Elsa became conscious of a scraping sound from somewhere behind her. She quickly turned and witnessed a jar sliding very slowly across the granite work surface before coming to a stop. Amazed, she stopped her food preparation to see what was propelling the jar. As if responding to her attention, the jar suddenly slid a considerable speed along the surface and smashed inches away from where Chelsea ate her lunch. Although initially terrifying, By the time I returned from work... I could see that Elsa had begun to try to rationalise the incident. ''Ah, these things happen,'' she said to me. ''It was probably a wind that pushed it across the wet surface.'' I could tell she wasn't convincing herself, though. She even looked at the floor and muttered... ''One hell of a wind, though.'' And then added more positively... ''I mean, it could have been. The windows were open upstairs.'' That same week, the motion sensors at the bottom of the garden had also been activated at exactly the same time on two consecutive nights. On both nights, the dogs had also been disturbed and loudly defended the compound, although on viewing the recordings the grainy TV images were unclear. But it did seem as if something was activating the alarm on its way to or from the woods. Elsa was paranoid in case it was a black bear. Nothing more happened for at least a couple of months... ...until Columbus Day in mid-October. For some people in New Jersey, this is still a big celebration. And we jumped on the bandwagon and spent the night drinking too much... ...with two of Elsa's friends from the parole service. When we got home, we pretty much went to bed straight away. At about three o'clock in the morning... Elsa woke me to tell me that she was going downstairs to turn on the heating. It had gone really cold. Our central heating thermostat was downstairs in the hallway, flanked by four large photo frames which we filled with photographs from Thanksgiving, Christmas and general family events. As she began to walk down the stairs, she suddenly had the intense feeling that someone was sitting in the chair in the hallway. She instinctively froze, and slowly bent her head down to get a better look. There, stooped over as if reading, sat a figure wearing what appeared to be a hooded coat. Her whole body froze in fear. ''Pete!'' she screamed in a terrified voice. ''Someone's in the house! Pete! Quick!'' I can't even remember getting out of bed but before I realised it I was pushing Elsa out of the way, and hurtling downstairs holding a baseball bat. I screamed out loudly as I ran into the hallway where Elsa had seen the figure, but as I switched on the lights, it was immediately clear that no one was there. The windows were all closed, the door was locked and the perimeter alarm had not been breached. But Elsa wouldn't accept that no one had entered the house that night, She made me search through every room and for the remainder of that night she slept with the light on. She was utterly convinced that someone had been sitting at the bottom of the stairs. The next morning we awoke as we always did shortly after 6am and prepared our breakfast in the kitchen. It was only when we sat at the table that we noticed the hallway. On the wall beside the alarm and above the chair, each of the four large photo frames had been turned upside down and placed with care back on the wall. It's a characteristic of most people that we want to try and explain mysteries with some rational logic. And that's exactly what we did. We convinced ourselves that it could only have been our daughter who had moved the frames. It must have been. There was no one else in the house and me and Elsa were accounted for. It could have only been Chelsea and certainly the events of that winter added strength to that theory. On the evening of her sixth birthday party at the end of November Chelsea went to bed early tired by all the excitement of the day. Indeed it was a long day for all of us and so we also decided to grab an early night. Just after midnight, I awoke to the sound of breaking glass. At first I thought I was dreaming until, whilst laying there in silence and listening now intently, I heard the sound again. Quietly getting out of bed so as not to wake Elsa, I looked at the security camera, and there caught in one of the six black and white images was a wide open door the door which led to the garage I instantly knew that someone was inside that door was never left open as the generator was housed inside retrieving my gun from the wardrobe I began to carefully inch my way down the stairs as I reached the bottom I turned the main lights on There was another loud smash of breaking glass... and... a strange sniggering sound. I now slowly inched my way towards the door... my gun hand shaking with nerves in front of me as I approached the doorway. I'd almost reached the open door... when another loud smash came from the room. What the hell is this? I asked myself. Then rationalising my thoughts... It must be town, kids. No sooner had the thought entered my mind... ...that the generator suddenly powered down... ...and I was plunged into darkness. A deep, impenetrable darkness. And my eyes struggled to adjust to the dark silhouettes within the room. As I struggled to find and turn on my torch... ...I heard whispering. Like kids whispering to each other. But young kids... Whoever's there, come out, I yelled as I managed to turn on the torch. I'm armed, so come out. Nothing. Only the shallow sound of my terrified breath. No one replied. All was utterly silent. I'm coming in, I called again. I have a gun, so show yourself. Still, nothing moved. With my torch in one hand and my shaking gun in the other I summoned the courage to cautiously walk through the door and into the open garage. I quickly scanned the room with the beam of my torch and that's when I saw it. There, in the corner, crouching down behind the generator was a small figure moving ever so slightly gently rocking back and forth Pointing my gun I slowly walked towards them Glass crunching beneath my feet as I suddenly realised That bottles were smashed all over the garage floor And white milk was dripping from the generator I was now only a few feet away from the figure Come out, I said sternly, more in terror than courage Still nothing moved I was now almost hunched over the figure In the bright torchlight the figure suddenly turned around to expose their face As I realised who it was I instinctively threw my gun on the cabinet to my right Chelsea? I said What the hell are you doing? I can remember clearly the impassive almost drugged look on her face as she looked up What have you been doing? I stammered, gesturing towards the shattered milk bottles on the floor. Chelsea now closed her eyes, as if asleep. But she remained crouched, facing me, rocking back and forth. The words that left her mouth was staccato and angry, almost as if someone else was saying them. He told me to do it. Milk is from dead cows. Over the next few months, we must have visited at least six different health professionals to discuss Chelsea's sleepwalking. It seemed that on most nights that winter, we would find her wandering throughout the house. Sometimes when we awoke, we would find her just standing at the foot of our bed, staring at us. We were advised to never challenge her about her actions or the things she said in her sleep. After all, they were only idle words that may have been overheard. But I was never sure. I played the part of the dutiful husband by convincing Elsa that the chilling events of the past few months could all be rationally explained. In our God-fearing lives, there was no room to even consider the paranormal. The real explanation was much more mundane, Our daughter was going through a phase, and was doing some strange things, and it was as simple as that. But our adherence to logic and stoic denial of anything beyond the realms of this earth, was about to come crashing down around us. One evening, we decided to spend the evening updating the large photograph frames from the hall. The ones that, earlier in the year, had been turned upside down. When we were on our knees opening the second frame, I noticed that one of the photographs had been defaced. It was a photograph of three prisoners, all dressed in prison issue orange jumpsuits. They were there for a press piece as Elsa was being presented with an award for all of her education work in the prison. It was a photograph that she was proud of, so it was something of a shock to see that the prisoner on the end had seemingly had his face scratched out. Who's done that? I asked, lifting the photograph. I haven't got a clue, she responded abruptly, taking it from my hand. Something in me instantly chilled. I have no idea why, but I instinctively knew that I wouldn't like the answer to my next question. Who is it? The prisoner? I asked pointing to the scratched out face casually almost fondly Elsa replied oh that was Rudy Belcher he came from your part of the world I think somewhere near Swan Lake my stomach dropped that was Buzz's stepdad in shock at the mention of Rudy's name I instantly questioned her choice of words "'Did you say that was, Rudy? Is he dead?' "'My mouth went dry. "'I remember gulping down mouthfuls of air as I tried to compose myself. "'Yeah, I think, I think he was in for dealing. "'Anyway, he was always touch and go mentally. "'He was convinced he was being haunted by his dead son. "'His boy died in an accident really young, apparently. "'He actually thought he was being visited by the kid at night.' "'How did Rudy die?' I asked, still trying to act nonchalant. "'He hung himself in his cell on Columbus Day last year, if I remember right. "'I couldn't keep it up any more. "'I'd just about reached the armchair before collapsing into it. "'Elsa, of course, was concerned and confused, "'and she hurried to the kitchen to get me a glass of water. "'Over the next hour she listened in stunned silence, As I told her everything. Everything about Buzz. And the accident. And although it went against her rational judgement. She suggested it may be beneficial for me to visit Buzz's grave. And well. Apologise. So I did just that. I wept in that cemetery for what seemed like hours. However once I left. It was like a weight had lifted. I still go to Buzz's grave when I get the time to. And although everything has been fine from a supernatural perspective since, I do still have the occasional nightmare about that day on the frozen lake. Hopefully, in submitting this story, they too may come to an end. One thing that strikes me about this truly horrific experience is not only how the grip of guilt can be truly like a vice, but the coincidences and synchronicities which run throughout this experience. There is a long-held theory within the world of the supernatural that synchronicities themselves are often a nod towards the paranormal, little reminders that tell us that we should keep our eyes and our minds open to things and situations which don't fit our normal narrative. Also, a thank you to the submitter for, as they mention at the start of the experience, removing their edit points from the retelling. I can think of nothing worse than having to experience something paranormal and then having to try and edit it down to be plausible to people, especially when you know firsthand what you experienced. So thank you for removing those edit points. And hopefully those nightmares do come to an end. Thank you so much to everyone who's already submitted stories for Season 8. If you'd like to submit your own personal experience, email thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Also, we've had some comments about the show going just to listener stories. However, just to clarify on one point, we may occasionally still do famous paranormal cases. I know there's still some amazing ones out there to cover, and we will. However, what we are doing is removing the shackles that tie us down to a specific genre for a full season, which also allows more people to get their paranormal experiences on the podcast. As ever, thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me here on the show. For our Patreons, I will speak to you again on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites, And to everyone, I will speak to you next week for Episode 8 of Season 7. But until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time here on The Dark Paranormal.